0: I am excited to be speaking today on The Morning Show about a really entertaining and interesting book. But on top of the quality of this book, there is also a very important and poignant backstory, which also makes this interview uh, really important. This book is titled The Capital of Basketball, A History of DC Area High School Hoops. And it was written by a gifted journalist who loved the game of basketball. His name was John McNamara. And you undoubtedly maybe recognize that name because I'm so sad to say John McNamara was one of the five journalists uh, at the Annapolis Capital Gazette who was killed in a mass shooting uh, in June of 2018. At the time of his death, John McNamara was hard at work on this book. And uh, it was the wish of his widow, Andrea Shambly, that this book would be finished. And indeed, she did so, undertaking that effort with a, a friend and, and, and a colleague of her husband's, uh, David Elphin. And this book is completed and now before the public. And it is a marvelous examination of the vibrant uh, landscape of basketball uh, in the D.C. area, but also a testament to John McNamara's uh, love of the game and devotion to sports journalism. And I'm just profoundly honored to be able to speak for the next few minutes with uh, uh, Andrea Shambly uh, about the experience of completing uh, her husband's book. Andrea Shambly, we welcome you to The Morning Show.
1: Oh, Thanks so much for having me, and thanks for your kind words.
0: Well, I really do appreciate this opportunity to speak with you. I wonder if you could say a word about the partnership that you and your husband had. I mean, you yourself have had a vibrant and demanding professional life as an attorney, uh, but you found the time to also be, from the sounds of it, a very meaningful part of your husband's work as, as a sports writer. Uh, tell us about that.
1: Well, thank you. Um, he never liked Uh, My reading his work before it was finished. So um, he would go into his den after a long day at the office and covering a game and continue his work on this book. He would schedule interviews and call people on the phone. He would take them out to dinner or for coffee. Um, He would go to uh, the several great libraries around here in Alexandria and D.C. and and Maryland and get the photos that he wanted and – come home with uh, a, a satchel full of microfiche pages that he had uh, copied at the libraries. And then he would go into his den and work on the book. And um, I, my role at that time was to bring him dinner at his desk. And um, every once in a while, I'd remind him to back up his files. And and so I knew where they were. Um so, and when he died, I couldn't go in his den for weeks until finally I was in there and I saw a to-do list for the book taped above his desk and I saw the boxes of files and I just knew I had to finish it.
0: I wonder if you would tell our, our listeners the story of someone by the name of Bob Dwyer. Because in, in some respects, uh, his death in back in 2007 uh, was something of a... Impetus, a galvanizing force for your husband to set to work on this book. Explain to our listeners who Bob Dwyer was and what it was about his death that uh, played a role in this book beginning to take shape.
1: I'd love to. Um, Bob Dwyer was a wonderful coach and mentor to high school students and other coaches. He coached at Archbishop Carroll for the Lions, he had a 55 game winning streak. Uh, and and multiple championships and um, he died in 2007 and John had been writing this book in his head for years by that time but not on paper and when he died he he said well I guess that's it I can't write the book without up without new quotes from Bob Dwyer and I I said no (laughs) <laughs> this means you have to start writing the book to get quotes from everybody else out there, and they can tell you about Bob Dwyer, and you can write about them, too, and you need to get started. Um, his note says, I, I called them old-timers, and I can't for the life of me remember calling these esteemed basketball legends old-timers, but um, but um, perhaps, perhaps I did, but I did tell him that he had to get going, and that's when he really— started working on this another eight hours a day at the end of his work day.
0: Wow. Your your husband covered all kinds of sports, but clearly basketball was his first love. What was it about the game of basketball that he especially loved?
1: Um, Well, he was just as knowledgeable about baseball. In fact, I'll never forget when um, Bryce Harper left the Nationals, he said, we can still win a championship with Juan Soto. Don't worry. So he knew his basketball and his baseball. But um, the thing about high school basketball is you can sit just an arm's length away from these talented high school players, and the caliber of play is just um, jaw-droppingly wonderful. And the coaches here um, work on the players to play as a real team team. On and off the court, to turn them into good citizens and good students and good players. Um, there's there's really a culture of of developing all around good citizens here in Washington D.C. and and I credit um, the the black schools who started getting coaches who had graduated from Howard University and and couldn't get drafted and couldn't coach in in the pros and they turned to, to develop great citizens in their neighborhood, and that culture just survives here in Washington and makes it very special.
0: Hmm. We're speaking with Andrea Shambly, and we are talking about the book uh, The Capital of Basketball, A History of D.C. Area High School Hoops, a book which her husband uh, began work on and and was working on diligently over the course of of 10 years, perhaps more, and uh, after his uh, tragic death Uh, One of five journalists killed in the mass shooting at the Annapolis Capital Gazette, Uh, Andrea Shambly, with the help of a good friend, uh, managed to complete this book, which has now been published by Georgetown University Press. Andrea Shambly, uh, you've already touched on the fact that you, after a a few days, uh, maybe a week's, had elapsed uh, since your, your husband's death, that you finally found the courage to go into his den. Uh, were you going into the den specifically to look for this material or just, was it in a sense more of a just a, a general visit to that place that was so important to him, that room? And uh, I, I guess part of what I'm asking is how surprised were you to find all that you found there in terms of this book? Well.
1: John was one of seven children, and he, he asked me to respect his den as his quiet place that he hadn't had growing up and his place to write. So I was happy to do that for him. Um, and for a couple of weeks after he died, I kept the door closed, and I just shuddered when I walked by. But but I had his ashes in this beautiful urn in, uh, in Maryland colors it happened to be, um, although I didn't think of that when I got it. And I had to put it somewhere, and um, I thought I would put it in his den for, for now and um, on the top of his bookshelf. So I went in there with, with his ashes and found a place for it, and in front of his desk I saw these three file boxes with with files by school and by year uh, from, from 1900 to 1998. And he wanted to get up to 2,000 when uh, Morgan Wooten was inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I I looked at the files, and I saw just how beautifully they were organized, and I saw the one little place that was incomplete. So I looked through them, and I found the backup files, and I called David Elfin, and he not only covered the last two years, but he looked through the whole thing, and if there was a first name missing or a team nickname missing, he knew how to fix all those little gaps. And and he just um, turned it into the, the final product, and mm. I'm really grateful.
0: Mm. How much had your husband managed to write, or was it more that the materials were gathered and maybe an outline drawn up? I mean, had he managed to... Uh, Begin the process of actually writing the book.
1: Uh, yes, it was. It was on the brink of completion. He had already written out the full chapters for 1950 to 1998, and uh, he wanted to start in 1900 when the game came to Washington from Springfield, Massachusetts. And um, he had a really detailed outline, um, s- uh, noting when he wanted to use a quote. And then attached to that page, he had the copy of the microfiche with the quote in orange highlighter. So I really just had to assemble it. I didn't have to write it. Um, so for for 1900 to 1950, I, I assembled it from his outline and his attachments, and uh, and then it was finished. Hmm.
0: One of the uh, stories I have read about is that among. Uh, the materials that your husband left behind was a a huge treasure trove of photos. I think 178, none of them with captions. (laughs) And the first time I read that, it didn't really hit me just what that meant. But then I started thinking about 178 photos and none of them having captions. And of course. They didn't have captions because your husband knew at a glance what all of these photos were. That's how thoroughly he understood uh, this 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 whole landscape and culture. Uh, but yeah. what a task for you and David Elfin to try to make sense of these photos in order to include them in the book.
1: Yeah, I, I put them in a folder. Um, I, some of them were on his, um, his computer, and a lot of them had been obtained from the libraries, and um, I I put them all together in a photo, and I started carrying them around with me, and whenever I saw David Elfin, I would ask him who they were, and um, there's another sports writer who wrote a book. Josh Barr invited me over to his house and looked through them, Um, and then I ended up at Morgan Wooten's house in his living room, and he's looking through them and telling me who they were, uh, although nobody could tell me, for example, what game it was necessarily. Oh, this is the 1956 game of spring versus DeMatha, uh, um, for example, and that player had 23 points in that game and, and 10 rebounds. Um, Morgan Rutten was pretty close um, with all that, but um, but I had to end up, once once I knew who the players were, And what school it was, I could go to the library that has all the yearbooks and look at their yearbook and find the pictures that had the the cut lines. Um, So with the government shutdown, you know, we're not allowed to work anywhere else during the shutdown. So I had nothing to do for six weeks but go back to the library and find each picture's caption.
0: Wow. (laughs) That is a labor of love. (laughs) I understand that your your husband – conducted some 150 interviews or more, uh, and uh, that is extraordinary as well. In what form did those interviews uh, survive? Were those interviews in which he had taken notes or made recordings?
1: Well, he was an old-school hand-note journalist. He he did use recordings um, when he had to, say, uh, at a press conference after a football game, but for interviews he liked handwritten notes and then he would come home and type them up so I had the combination of the handwritten notes and what he typed up Um, but at that point he had put all his interviews in the chapter already Uh, but I did check and make sure they were you know he wasn't quoting an old interview and that it was his own interview Um, but he didn't have that for the Players from 1900 to 1950, but <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but those I I found out I there there weren't I wasn't able to get those at and this year so, um, but they they were all incorporated into the book by then. He was really on the brink of finishing it.
0: Right, the book is interesting in that it includes some great basketball luminaries and. Th- names that would be familiar to just about anybody who is a true student of the game. But there are also some, some names here that will not be well-known to the general public uh, at all, and yet men whose, whose stories are really important, such as one E.B. Henderson. Explain yeah. to our listeners why the name E.B. Henderson uh, is important in the capital of basketball.
1: Well, he's one of my favorite characters in this story and um, one of my favorite people in American history now. Um, He went up to Springfield, Massachusetts and met with um, Dr. Naismith. Dr. Naismith's game was a nine-man game at that point. It was um, three on offense, three on defense, and three, I guess, in the middle. And and it was a passing-only game. And... There was a, um, a circus performer in D.C. Um, who brought this to the uh, gentlemen in the armory to keep them in shape during the winter months, and, and Eb Henderson brought this to the, the African American schools uh, for the same reason. And um, they turned it into a five-man running game with passing. And D.C. was the first home of the of the fast break, uh, pugnacious defense, hard hitting. Uh, basketball schools and in fact they used to play surrounded by chain link fences and they were called cagers and that was to keep the audience out but it also was um, so that the defense could throw the player with the ball against the chain link fence and uh, get the ball jarred loose Mm. and we also had one of the first uh, referees in dc and you can see why we needed that too but but eb henderson uh, changed the game he um he got his team uh, adopted by Howard University, and they became the f- official Howard team. And then he went on to strive to desegregate the game, and he probably wrote 3,000 letters and essays and a great book called The Negro in Sports, and, um, and he ended up founding the first chapter of the NAACP. And uh, so he wasn't just a sports hero. He was a civil rights hero, and he never stopped his tireless work uh, for um, integration and, and so that black kids and white kids could play each other together.
0: Hmm. That story in and of itself makes it worth it to, uh, to take this book in hand. We've already mentioned the name of Morgan Wooten, and uh, uh, I think it's important to say a, a further word about just what an incredible coach he was at the high school level maybe one of the best high school coaches uh of all time in any sport uh just explain to our listeners what a towering figure he is and and also the connection that that your own father john mack your own husband had with him
1: uh sure um well the book ends with morgan wooten's induction into the hall of fame um as the first high school coach inducted into the hall of fame um and uh He's expected to be a teacher. Uh, he ended up working for coach Joe Gallagher at St. John's, and that was where my husband went to school. Um, Joe Gallagher had great teams, and my husband um, pretended he got over not making the team, but I'm not sure he ever did. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, uh, Morgan coached for, for Joe Gallagher for about two years, and then he was recognized as a great potential, and DeMatha hired... Morgan um he thought he was being hired as a teacher and he still loves to teach and and he was teaching uh, when he got hired but he became an institution in DC for developing such a wonderful program at Dematha um with with so many um NBA players uh, James Brown is a perfect example of of a remarkable scholar athlete uh, Brown turned down Offers to go to Division One and went to Harvard instead, <laughs> and obviously never left sports because he's on CBS football now. Um, but but um, Morgan is such a generous, uh, wonderful man. Um, his son Joe is named for Joe Gallagher, and they always remained friends.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, Morgan Wooten is uh, the coach at DeMatha for 46 years. His win-loss record, 1,274 wins to 192 losses. I mean, just an extraordinary legacy. And beyond the numbers, of course, just the, the all of the, the young players, young athletes uh, whom he profoundly affected. And of course, there are great uh, basketball players in in this book as well, uh, including the story of someone whose name I am embarrassed to say I did not know, one Earl Lloyd, the first African-American to play in the NBA uh, beginning in 1950, so not long after Jackie Robinson broke into Major League Baseball.
1: Yes, um, and what's remarkable about um, basketball is that kids were playing each other on the streets uh, for years, whether they were black or white. The adults were able to keep black players off the football fields and uh, golf courses and uh, tennis courts, but they couldn't stop kids from playing basketball together. So when finally an African-American had a chance to step on on the court and the NBA with white players, it didn't create as much of the of the blowback as it did in, in other sports like
0: baseball. A great story. And, of course, uh, some towering legends in uh, NBA history are part of this book as well, including probably most notably Elgin Baylor and Dave Bing, uh, two of the best uh, players to ever play in the NBA and uh, both coming from the same high school uh, in the Washington, D.C. area.
1: Uh, yeah I think that's the um, most productive basketball high school springar if I springar if I remember correctly yes um, that they did uh, that that school produced um, some remarkable human beings I mean not just players but remarkable human beings mm. and that's what I like about this story I love basketball I covered it when I went to high school for my county paper and and um, in, in my county the caliber wasn't quite so uh, high as it is yeah, in in the other nearby counties in Maryland and D.C. But I, I love the sport, but I also love the, the history of, of the contributions these people made on and off the court. Hmm.
0: So this book, your husband's final book, uh, was completed with, again, the help of, of David Elfin has now been published and, and so on. And um, I have read a number of, of articles about you and interviews done with you in which you have said on more than one occasion, essentially the words, there is no such thing as closure. I mean, one might speak about closure, but, but uh, when somebody suffers this kind of a devastating loss, uh, there just isn't anything like at least complete and full disclosure. Uh, what does this book represent for you? Is it in a sense, a, a hint of closure, uh, or, or does it represent something else for you?
1: Well, I think closure is something that people who love you hope that you achieve, but um, so far I I can't say I, I expect that to happen. But um, But John was such a devoted friend and husband, and I would tell him that I feel like I'm— so far behind in keeping up with his gestures of love, I and mean, he would scrape my car off when there was ice on it in the winter. He would make my coffee even though he never touched the stuff. Um, he uh, he was always there when I needed it, um, when I needed him, and and he didn't just didn't need as much as I did. And I told him I was falling behind, and he said I wasn't. But I never quite believed him until I got this book out, and I thought, maybe I'm not behind after all. I, I know he wanted to be remembered as a sports writer. He, he wouldn't have wanted to be remembered for how he died. He would, wanted, he would want to be remembered for how much he loved basketball, mm. and he would want other people to love it, too, when they heard the stories.
0: Right. And especially all of the stories of perseverance, of triumph over injustice, that... Uh, uh, illuminate the pictures of this really wonderful book once again it's titled the capital of basketball a history of DC area high school hoops published by Georgetown University Press the book first and foremost by John McNamara but finished uh, by his friend and colleague David Elphin, and by his wife Andrea Shambly Andrea Shambly thank you so much for joining me today on the morning show Uh, I applaud your good efforts uh, to complete your, your husband's wonderful book, and I wish you well in the years ahead, and I thank you again for being part of the morning show today. Best wishes.
1: Thank you so much.